that, um, sure, absolutely, at the core of what happens there in Salem, there is demonic and occult activity. But the majority, the periphery, the 10,000 that show up on the weekend before or uh, on, the, on Halloween night, are, they are looking for a good time, but they're also really hungry for the supernatural. They do want, they're expecting some sort of encounter with something bigger, larger, and more powerful than them. It's the same thing that I sense when um, I'm at Dunkin' Donuts and uh, there's, yeah, here it comes again. I do spend time there. But this, the particular one on Elliott Street, Route 62, there's always this crew of older gentlemen there. And I just kind of salt to the earth guys and I love listening to their repartee. And, um, but there's one guy who is often reading the horoscope and he'll be like, hey, Danny, you know, and he'll read him his horoscope. Hey, Pete, you know, and he reads the other guy's horoscope. And I just think also, like, I'm looking at this man probably in his 70s, 80s, and um, there's just a hunger for the now word. You know, they want to know what's, what's the word from on high? Is there something metaphysical that can help me in my life today? And then we come to the church. And something that just makes me sad is, it makes me sad if we, who are the people of God, made to enjoy his power, leave his presence unchanged time after time. Or if we come and we have our discouragement, our despair, our strongholds, and those things aren't affected by the presence of God. You know, we were meant to experience the power of God. And I think it's why Paul prayed. You know, Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1. He said, hey, I pray that you guys, that God enlightens the eyes of your heart, that something kind of opens up. And he said, I pray um, so that you could know three things. You can know the hope to which um, I've called you, that God's calling you. So you can know the incomparably, oops, sorry, that's number three. Uh, The second thing is, uh, so you can know uh, my inheritance in the saints, you know, the fact that God's into people, basically. But the third thing he prays is, and I pray that you, church in Ephesus, would know the incomparably great power that's reserved for the saints, okay, for believers. So we are meant as the church to experience the power of God. It was Paul's prayer for us. And I'm just thinking, man, life is hard. You know, I don't know how you're doing today, but gosh, for me in the day-to-day, life is hard. Things can get discouraging. Um, We have conflict. All sorts of things happen. And um, I, I just think, God, there must be an antidote for this. You must have an answer, God, to our desire for the supernatural. God, you must have a desire for us to experience the imminent like the now presence of God. And God, you must have something for us so that we're not continually walking in discouragement. You know, life is so hard. We need to experience life and power day to day. So God, what is your answer? And we're going to find it, guess where? We just talked about it last week. It's this thing called scripture. We're going to find it. Why don't you guys pray with me and then we'll uh, take a look at the word. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. And even as we prayed this morning, we are very aware, Holy Spirit, that here we are asking for your presence. And yet many times we quench you and we grieve you, what the scripture says. And so we join with Isaiah from chapter 6 and saying, Lord, woe, woe is us. You know, woe are we. Uh, We are women and men of unclean lips and unclean hearts. And we just need a visitation from the Holy Spirit, the spirit who brings the holiness of God. And so we're inviting you here and just open up our eyes. I pray that faith would be um, in great quantity here in this room today. I pray that every um, lie of unbelief would be uh, squashed. And instead, there'd be great faith and great hope and great love that um, is in abundance here as we look at your word. 
In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Okay, what does God have for us? How do we access this power? How do we experience the imminent, the now presence of God? And how do we encourage one another regularly? Because life is hard. We look at 1 Corinthians 14, and we have some answers. 1 Corinthians 14, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, a church that was very gifted and very immature. Okay, they had a lot of power going on. Paul planted churches that were charismatic, and this was like the chief charismatic church that he planted, and, um, but they had some immaturity, so he had some words for them. 1 Corinthians 14, 1-5. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does, does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men and women, to people, for their strengthening, their encouragement, and their comfort. Strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater and the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, I know that for many of us in this room, this whole experience is somewhat foreign. So I want to help us uh, get into the word and make it not a foreign experience to us, some of these things. So remember what we're after. You are made for the supernatural, and we need to walk in it. So let's go through. Let's start in uh, verse 1 here. I want to kind of outline a few things as we talk about um, God's heart for us, experiencing the supernatural. We talk about risk-taking as one of our values and our passions in this church. First thing, notice it says, is follow the way of love. So as we broach this subject of risk-taking, walking in the gifts of the Spirit, the number one thing we need to remember is that in the chapter before this, Paul has outlined what it looks like to follow the way of love. In other words, he is uh, wishing for all of us our maturity looks like this, the things he mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13, that we're getting free from envy and jealousy, that we're not given over to boasting and getting our validation from things we do, and that we're really dealing with the places in our hearts that are proud, that are rude, and that are self-seeking. So the underpinning of this whole thing is love. And honestly, what the charismatic uh, movements in the 70s, 80s, 90s have missed is we missed that. A lot of the excesses that many of you are afraid of, you know, when you think of, oh no, gifts of the Spirit, you know, these things come to your mind about <laughs> churches that, and people, frankly, that I don't think had settled in their hearts that this whole thing was to be based on love. And love looks like I want, I want to exercise gifts so that other people get encouraged. That's what God's wanting to do in us. It's, that's the maturity piece is, I, you know, I want to see, see Elizabeth Gilman healed, or I want the gift of healing, not so I can go around, hey, I have the gift of healing, but so that Elizabeth Gilman gets free from her back pain. You know what I'm saying? I want to hear the Lord when I'm in this crazy situation in Salem and be able to say, hey, really simple word. I feel like God said, you know, you're a loyal person. I want to be able to receive that from God because I want that person to have an experience with the living God. You know, this one who apparently probably doesn't know the Lord, right? Um, Brianna, she's not a believer, I don't think. So, yeah, so she's doing it because she wants that person to have a better chance at, at, um, at responding to God. That's the way of love. So the underpinning for this whole thing is that you've got 1 Corinthians 13 working in your heart, trying to get free from self 
and um, desiring other people to, to benefit. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Eagerly desire. Okay, there's a difference between just hoping for, being open to. I'm open to the gifts, you know? And I just think if there's one really pick, strong picture that comes to mind, it's have you ever seen Jim Merriam at a Patriots game or watching the Super Bowl of the Patriots? Jim Merriam eagerly desires for the Patriots to score a touchdown and to win. And last January, or whatever it was, February, was absolutely devastating for him as we watched this, this tragedy unfold from, the, from last time. But Jim, uh, is, he's not just open to a Patriots victory. He's not just like, yeah, that, that's cool. I could have a Patriots victory. He eagerly desires it, desires it. And so Paul is saying, we too, we're not to be lackadaisical, but we are to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Have you ever been on Black Friday, you know, at, at, at the mall? It's, people are eagerly desiring deals and gifts. Okay, that's the picture I want you to have for eagerly desiring the spiritual gifts. And so then we get to this point about Paul saying, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. In Paul's writings, we see several different lists of giftings. And so, for example, the list that he gives in Romans 12, and what I'm about to share is not a legal thing. It's not um, the pinnacle of theology. It's just kind of an observation. But like the list in Romans 12 he gives are things um, that are more, sometimes people call them motivational gifts. Like he gives this list, you know, if, um, of prophesying. You know, if you have a gift of faith, if you have a gift of serving, if you have a gift of teaching, encouraging, if you have a gift of contributing or giving, if you have gifts of leadership or gifts of mercy that you want to exercise them. So there's a certain list that he gives. And again, they seem to be more related with kind of your personality, how you're wired, how you're built to do stuff. And then in Ephesians 4, Paul gives another list. And it's a more list of offices that we see in the church. And that's where we have the apostle, prophet, teacher, pastor, evangelist. But then we get to 1 Corinthians 12, just two chapters before what we're looking at today. And here he gives a list that is expressly gifts that are spiritual. And as he says, it's 1 Corinthians 12, 7. If you're in your Bible, you can just flip before and it says, these manifestations of the spirit are given for the common good. In other words, there are things that it's not so much motivational. It's not an office or a role, but it's just things that are from the spirit of God. And when you look at that list, it's things like the message of wisdom, right? Sometimes when people share a word in a moment and the application is just the French have a great word for it. It's le mot juste. It's like the right word at the right time. And you just go, wow, that's awesome. Or like the message of knowledge. You know, we've been trying to grow in this church with the word of knowledge, like hearing the Lord ahead of time for something that God might want to heal. Speaking of which, by the way, Priscilla said this morning, she said, I feel like God wants to heal someone's right rib. So that's you. There's a word of knowledge for you. Okay. Faith. Sometimes there's a spiritual gift of faith. Gifts of healing, you know, the very things that we see released in Elizabeth's life, whether it was through Eve or other people. I know that she had multiple people praying for it multiple times. There's a gift of healing. Miraculous powers, distinguishing of spirits, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, all these gifts that are distinctly spiritual. And isn't it interesting that of all these gifts that Paul mentions, the one that he's inviting all of us to eagerly, eagerly desire is one and it's the prophetic. It's prophecy. He feels like it's accessible to all of us. And my assumption is, is that he's saying it's accessible to all of us. 
and that it's going to do the most good. And we know it's going to do the most good because of what we see in verse 3, right? Because what happens when we speak prophetically to one another? And, and you just saw a really good example of it in hearing Beth and Brianna's testimonies. Just hearing, the, you know, saying, Lord, what do you want to say? You know, Brianna literally got a word, like a vocabulary word, loyal, you know? Beth had some pictures. We're going to talk shortly about is that scriptural or not. And then often I deal in scripture. You know, sometimes God will speak to me when I'm praying, especially for another believer in scripture. We, we, we get a, a, a scripture verse for someone. Why, why, why is this? If there's a gift for us to traffic in as a church, if there's a gift that all of us should start to be dealing with, it's the prophetic. And why is that? Because as we mentioned in, in, the, in verse 3, it says that when we prophesy, we speak to one another for what? For their strengthening. Everyone say strengthening. For their encouragement and for their comfort. Everyone say comfort. Okay, so that's why I think in Paul's mind, dealing with a church that's a little immature, dealing with a church that has a lot of gifts going on. I mean, power showing up, but it's power that's going all over instead of being channeled towards good, channeled towards strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He says, this is what um, you should all aspire to, to prophesy, to to the prophetic, to prophecy. And so when we, in 2007, as a church said, hmm, we want to make this accessible to people. We know that when we start to say the words Holy Spirit on all sides, different people freak out. And so we said, you know what? What, it, what the heart of this matter for the church today, say, on the North Shore is risk-taking. And so we've articulated risk-taking in two ways. And John's going to preach on the second way soon, probably next week. We'll see. Yes, next week. But the, the first part, we say this. We say that risk-taking involves, at the harbor, risk-taking involves um, eagerly desiring and exercising spiritual gifts for one another's benefit. Okay? If you're following along in your orange sheet, exercise, uh, eagerly desiring and exercising spiritual gifts. Why? So we can have a good Holy Ghost hoedown. Show off. Ooh, he's anointed. Ooh, she's holy. No, it's so that everyone else benefits for one another's benefit. Amen? Okay. And so what I'm telling you today is that encouraging your neighbor is worth the risk. It, it is a risk to do what Beth did, to do what Brianna did, to sit there in front of someone and say, oh, uh, I think the Lord's saying this, you know? I mean, you saw Beth took the risk. The sarcastic kid, let her have it, right? There's a risk there, but it's always going to be worth it to encourage your neighbor. Encouraging your neighbor is just worth the risk. Encouraging your neighbor using the prophetic. Encouraging your neighbor using spiritual gifts. Please don't limit. I mean, I'm limited to the prophetic today. But if you walk in healing or if you discern spirits well, and that's something you're, you're gifted in, then please, I'm telling you, the body needs it. I need it. We need it. But I think the prophetic is, is accessible to all of us. And you encouraging your neighbor using spiritual gifts is worth the risk. Amen? Okay. I have an assumption today that I need to uh, tell you about, and that assumption is that you're good with the Holy Spirit. So I just want to take a moment here and talk about this third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. When Jesus uh, tells his disciples what's coming, he mentions the comforter or the counselor. And in Greek, the counselor there is paraclete, the one who comes alongside. So I'm telling you, if you've ever felt the conviction of God, um, you know, in in the same passage, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is going to be the one who convicts the world of guilt in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so if you've ever felt that, if you've been drawn to God, if you have 
been sorry for your sin, if you felt compassion for someone else, I'm telling you, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one who walks alongside us. He is the dynamic of our intimacy with God. Just this morning again in prayer, we prayed from Psalm 80. And in Psalm 80, it says, Lord, show me your face. Like, I want to see your countenance um, so that I can be saved, is actually what it says. I think it's verse 3 in Psalm 80. So you experiencing the face of God, you know, if you were in worship this morning and you just experienced the nearness of his touch, or like I think of my son, JD, he loves to go nose to nose with me. And when I'm putting him to bed at night, he likes my face near his face. And I think it's because there's just an impartation there of life and identity that is just happening. And so it is with God. We need to see him face to face in the dynamic, like us experiencing God face to face. The person who's doing that in that moment is the Holy Spirit. We need him. He is the, the breath of God on the earth today. The Father is our authority. We need to meet with authority. That's really the story of your life, is meeting with the authority of God the Father, creator. The radiance of God's glory is Jesus, as it says in Hebrews. We know the most about God's character, and we're just fleshly, so we needed a fleshly example so we could see it. That's Jesus. But the present dynamic of us experiencing God is the Holy Spirit. Now, the thing is, we need some instruction in the Holy Spirit. And so we just turn to a few passages in the book of Acts to get that instruction. Because I fear that, or I'm concerned, it's not really a fear, like I'm shaking my boots. But my concern is that some of us have not really experienced this person of the Holy Spirit. And we're not going to be able to walk in the prophetic. We're not going to be able to walk in encouraging one another until we're kind of all on the same page with the Holy Spirit. So let's just take a look. What does Acts tell us about the Holy Spirit? And, I'm, and, and so I want to look at the things that happened past Acts 2. In other words, I'm going to assume here that most of you have a familiarity that, you know, Jesus said, hey, I'm going away, but it's good. In John, he says, and the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. And then in Acts 2, we have this incredible thing that happens where they're just gathered there, waiting, worshiping, not sure what's going to happen. And then the Holy Spirit comes on them in such a sovereign way, tongues of fire. They start praising God in languages that are understood by others. It really, it's a dynamic event. Um, so you know that part, but let's look at things past that. So turn with me to Acts eight fourteen to 17, and um, let's look at what happens with Philip and after Philip's preaching. <coughs> Remember that Philip is, the persecution has come to Jerusalem, and so God is forcing the church to expand through persecution. Philip's on his way, preaches, preaches the gospel, uh, and this man named Simon, who's a sorcerer, interesting, kind of like Salem, someone who's operating in things of the Spirit, but not Spirit with a capital S, not the Holy Spirit. But he gets touched by God, he repents, um, and a whole bunch of people are baptized, and they're astonished at the miraculous work. And let's see what happens here. It says, When the apostles in Jerusalem, this is Acts eight fourteen, heard that Samaria, this whole event that I just shared with you, had accepted the word of God, they sent some apostolic authority over there. They sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, Peter and John, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So we see here there's something other than the water baptism that happens. We just a few weeks ago had some wonderful testimonies people saying i want to be baptized into the name of the lord jesus that's wonderful now we see a separate event we don't know exactly what happened but we we see that they pray for them that they receive 
the Holy Spirit. There's a separate event here, okay? Let's let God paint this picture for us of who the Holy Spirit is and how he works. Move on to Acts 10. Okay, Acts 10, 44 to 48. <clears throat> this is this wonderful situation where God is using Peter to say that um, God uses Peter to indicate that the gospel is for all people. It's not just for the Jews anymore, but all the nations, all the peoples are to be to experience the gospel. So Peter gets this vision and he's told to go to this house. And it's the house of a, a soldier, uh, an officer, Cornelius. And Cornelius um, has Peter over and Peter shares with him, you know, God's heart, which is that um, the gospel is available for all. And then listen to, to what happens or... Um, yeah, let, let's see what happens here. Acts ten forty four. Peter's at Cornelius' house. He's sharing the gospel, and watch what happens. Ten forty four. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on. Okay, before it was they received the Holy Spirit. Here it's the Holy Spirit came upon all who heard the message. It was Cornelius' household, and probably some of his friends and intimate relationships there. Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, those Jewish believers, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, even on non-Jews, people from other nations. <clears throat> For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So one of the things that we see is they get touched by the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues. Again, I realize that's an experience foreign to many of us, but they're worshiping God, and um, it's just incredible. So... Talk about outside the box. You know, this was the wrong order. Because look at what happens here. Peter says, I'm continuing, verse 37. Can anyone keep these people from being water baptized? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked for Peter to stay with them. Because that was a lot of fun. So let's, let's hang out more, right? When you like hanging out with someone, you ask them to stay. So, again, point there is, there's, they get... They receive this thing of the Holy Spirit. There's a manifestation. It's different from the water baptism piece. And it's in the wrong order. It's a little bit outside the box. Maybe that's my main point for us today is it's a little bit outside the box. Sometimes God works a little bit outside the box. Then finally, let's turn to um, Acts 19, I believe, to see um, Paul's experience with some guys at Ephesus. This is right at the beginning of his whole church planting adventure there. This is a great way to start a church. All you guys who are future church planners, take notes. This could be fun. I'm going to start right at the beginning. Acts 19, 1 to 7. While Apollos, a follower of Jesus, was at Corinth, <coughs> excuse me, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. This is modern-day Turkey. There he found some disciples. Wow, okay. So in God's sovereignty, he just found some people who had started to follow Jesus already. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Hmm. Isn't that interesting? That Paul's first concern, he meets some guys who are following Jesus, and who knows how they came to know Christ? Because Paul did leave Priscilla and Aquila at Ephesus, and maybe that's how they came to know Christ. We're not real sure. But isn't it interesting? The first concern that Paul has is, wait a second, do you have all you need? You know, the very thing he's going to write to the church in Ephesians that he plants is, meaning the very prayer that I mentioned before, He's, he's concerned, are you hooked up to the power here? Do you have this imminent presence of the Lord? Um, are you connected to this very dynamic that provides intimacy with Jesus? That's his first question. It isn't, have you gone through the new visitor's guide? Have you become a member of the church yet? You know, he, he, his first thing is, 
Are you on the worship team? Do they know you can play guitar? It's, have you received the Holy Spirit? Okay. And they answered, no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, well, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. So Paul's actually got two things he's got to deal with right now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. John's baptism. Hold on. He said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. All right, so it was just kind of a thing that was done in those days that when you wanted to turn a new leaf, boom, you got dunked and you're turning over a new leaf. John the Baptist was capitalizing on this as he preached the repentance and preparing for Jesus' coming. So, anyways, he told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. Verse 5. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So first they do this water baptism. But when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Again, what, what, what are we trying to get at here? What's the picture that God's painted through the scriptures? It's that there is a receiving of the Holy Spirit that is intended for all who follow Jesus. Now, I'm not, I am not interested in kind of creating here, like, oh, we better just recreate exactly how it happens here, and we're going to force something, because as I've mentioned, the Holy Spirit works outside the box. And so for me to try to recreate something that, um, just for being literal, is dangerous. But the thing that I want to say to you is that I believe there's just more of the Holy Spirit for us all to have, okay? Because Paul writes later in Ephesians 5.18, he says, be filled, meaning in Greek, be continually being filled. I mean, you know, these are the same, ostensibly, these are the same 12 guys that he had this experience with. He's writing to the church that grows out of their, their community there later. And he says, you guys, you still need to be being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So no matter what your experience is today, we all need a fresh work of God. Or as some guy says, uh, I think it's probably John Wimber, I don't remember. You know, I leak, so I need to be freshly filled with the Holy Spirit, right? But I do think that for some of you who've never heard this, you were like me, in October of my freshman year at college, you've never heard that the Holy Spirit, there's a receiving or kind of a coming upon of the Holy Spirit that is apart from your um, water baptism. And it's to you that I'm especially speaking, please ask for the Holy Spirit. I didn't have this supernatural crazy event when I did so. I was taught these verses in the very same way I'm sharing them with you in October of my freshman year at Baylor University. And I just did a simple thing. I went to a prayer room afterwards sometime that week, and actually was around Halloween. And I just said, God, I see there's a dimension of you that I want more of. I read about it, and so I want more. So I said, God, will you just fill me with your Holy Spirit afresh? And guess what didn't happen? I didn't speak in tongues spontaneously. The room that I was praying in did not shake. Sorry. Maybe I'm not that anointed. But I will tell you what did start to happen. Like, immediately, uh, like the next day, I remember walking through the lunch line and being really irritated that kind of, um, you know, I went to Baylor. There is a lot of Texas money there. So I remember Texas money next to me in line was talking to the lunch lady, you know, Hispanic woman, in a way that was just disrespectful. And I thought, are you kidding me? Like God all of a sudden to open up my eyes to people that are not always valued in our culture, right? I have another, the other clear picture I have is being on the practice field. I played sousaphone. And the Baylor University Golden Wave Band. And I remember being on the practice field and all of a sudden being really irritated that, um, and not in a judgmental way, please hear my heart, but I remember thinking, okay, we're at Baylor. There's kind of this prevailing churchianity, but I'm aware that these people are sleeping around and these people are partying all the time. And these people don't even know the Lord. 
And the people who don't know the Lord, they're watching these churchianity people just live like the world and wondering, why would I want Jesus, you know? And that started to break my heart in a way that it hadn't happened before. And I would attribute that to the fact that I got filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, God was operating. He's holy, okay? So, we need the Holy Spirit. Amen? And we need the Holy Spirit so we can walk in that power. People are hungry for power. You're hungry for the imminent presence of God. You're hungry to know what God's thinking about you day to day. And, and one way that happens is the church walking in this prophetic, um, um, speaking in words that are strengthening, encouraging, and uh, comforting to one another. So let me just give a few practicals. And then we're going to transition into a communion time and also open this up front. So especially if you want to be you want to receive the Holy Spirit, I want to pray for you right after our communion time. And I want to have our prayer team pray for you. I want to demystify the prophetic. And I would just say, this is the baby step to the prophetic we can all walk in. I know when, a lot of you, when you think prophetic, you think, I'm going to tell the future. That's, <coughs> that can happen, but that really is, I think, that happens when someone has been walking in this gift for years and years, you know, typically, and um, has, is in a trusted circle of friends, and they really have more of that motivational gift, Romans 12 of the prophetic. And um, I'm just, we, we all can access something um, first, and it is this. Honestly, just what I do, what, you heard what Beth and what Brianna do. There's someone in front of them, and they just pray, Lord, do you have anything to say to this person? And then, as I've heard one uh, pastor say, his name is Robbie Dawkins. He's a pastor of a vineyard in, in Chicago. He says, it's like a feather dropping on your arm. In other words, you may pray, Lord, do you have something for this person? And a scripture may come to mind, come to mind, or perhaps an image may come to mind. And it's just you trusting, hey, God, I believe that this is... This is important for this person. You may not have the full picture. You, know, you may not know exactly why God is saying what he's saying to you. But it's just a walk with Jesus, trusting him that he can inject your thoughts with his at that moment. So I've found often when I'm praying for people, usually a scripture that comes to mind, which actually encourages me to be more in the word because I want more of the word in me. But on this piece of picture, because you, know, you heard Beth say, I saw a picture. And of course, I think many of you had these little radars go up, they go, you know, is that scriptural? Warning, you know. And, you know, my word to you, my response to you is, have you read the prophets yet? You know, have you read the prophets? They, their main commerce is in pictures. Look at this very verse that we've chosen as our, that we believe God's given us as a uh, like keystone, capstone verse for us. You know, God could have said to Isaiah, you know what? I really care about people who are struggling. That's great. But God, because he knows that our hearts and our imaginations are captured by the stuff and the material that make up our day-to-day lives, he says this. He says, a bruised reed I won't break, and a smoldering wick I won't snuff out. Now that's a powerful picture, is it not? Isn't there a qualitative difference when you hear, God helps those who are struggling, versus a bruised reed he won't break, a smoldering wick he won't snuff out. That's why God deals in pictures, and all the prophets are like that way. I just encourage you to read every single one, right? Jeremiah, God could have said, I'm, I get really upset when you sin. I'm really sad that you sin. But what does Jeremiah say in, in chapter 2? He says, or this is God speaking, You've forsaken me, the spring of living water. And you've gone to cisterns, broken cisterns that don't hold water. Now, how's that a picture for your sin? You know? It's... 
I can go to God or I can go to my broken cisterns or these things that are designed to hold water, but they don't. That's powerful. That's a picture that God uses. Man, and if you want a picture, just poor Ezekiel. Do you know what God had Ezekiel do? Watch out. He's a crazy man. And, okay? God basically said, okay, Ezekiel, I want you to show to the people that I'm coming, like destruction is coming. So basically he said, draw in a clay tablet, tablet Jerusalem and build up a little siege works. It's like Ezekiel had permission from God to do a little Lego erector set thing and build it and do this. Okay? And then God said, hey, Ezekiel, lie down on your side in front of it for 390 days. Because that's one day for each year of Israel's sin. And then lie on your other side for 40 days, one year for each of Judah's, Judah's sinfulness. Oh, and this is where it gets good. And this, we haven't even begun. If you want to read the funniest conversation between man and God in the Bible, it's this one. God says, and I want you to bake bread, and you want to make your fire over human poop, just to show how defiled the people will be, right? And this is, this is where it gets comical to me. Ezekiel says, you know, as if the, the Legos and the 390 days and 40 days wasn't enough, he says, I, I've never been unclean, God. The whole human poop thing is rough. And God says, okay, just do it over cow poop, and you're fine, okay? <laughs> Thank you, God. We, we were just at Richardson's on Friday, and let me tell you, cow poop smells, okay? It still smells. So my point is, that's a pretty repulsive picture, but God had us, <laughs> God, um, thank you, Lord. Yeah, okay. Make sure you're submitted to authority if you're going to give a picture like that, okay, to someone else. So, pictures. So my encouragement to us is, that, um, that, that, that pictures are a way that God speaks. It just happened to me this week. I had someone pray for me. He said, hey, I thought God gave me a picture of you hitting a home run. Praise the Lord. You know, your church is going well. Thank you. That was encouraging. I met with a student this week. I said, you know, I just feel like God's giving me this picture of a, um, uh, the royal guards at the, at the Buckingham Palace. You know, I saw your face with those big black Shaco things, hats on. You know, it's right in line with what God was speaking to me about him being a guardian of the faith and just a guardian of doctrine and all this. So it's just powerful when God does it, right? And so I just want to encourage you, you just, in the safety of your faith group, in the safety of accountability groups, you start to walk out on this stuff, okay? And then you start to bring it to the world, too. It's so fun. You know, John and I were just at um, the Japanese restaurant uh, last week uh, near Panera there. And again, this is like super prophetic, but we just asked the waiter, a Chinese man, what his name was. And, and you know, I said, well, what's the interpretation? What does that name mean? And he said, my name means good, good. And I'm thinking... <laughs> I know something in scripture that says good, good. In Genesis, God created things and everything was good. But then in the Hebrew, when he made man, he said man was good, good. It's translated very good in your Bible. And I said, do you know that? Do you know that you're made by God? It was awesome. I mean, we, we you know, so basically John and I have just started a relationship with this guy, Matt Schwab's too. And we're praying that he'll know that he's good, good. Okay. Tons more examples. But encourage your neighbor, it's worth the risk. Was it a little awkward when we said this with our, our, you know, it was a little strange with the waiter at first? Sure. But is he encouraged because people are bringing life to him? I sure think so. Encouraging your neighbor, it's worth the risk. Amen? Who wants more of God? All right. Well, we're going to get it today. We're going to get it by communion. We're going to get it by asking to receive the Holy Spirit so we can walk out in all that God has for us. And I want to encourage you, if this is just way out there for you, please walk through this with a faith group leader or someone else. Let's have the worship team come on up and those who are serving the communion.
Neil to come up.